every family has at least a couple of stories that are talked about only in whispers or when only a few people are present. In my family, the Wooten family, the event that has become known as the couch incident of 2004 is one such story. I received a phone call one day in the fall of 2004 from my sister. Her tone of voice told me that trouble was brewing. Our brother and his wife had gotten rid of their couch, of our couch, I should say, because the boundaries were a little blurry on that point. The couch in question was an old brown plaid sleeper sofa from the 1970s. It had spent 10 to 15 long and good years at my grandparents' home before coming to rest in my sister's apartment. When it arrived at my apartment five years later, large areas of fringe had been chewed off courtesy of my sister's psychotic dog, Alex. Well, the couch lived with us another five years, during which time its legs were lost. We don't exactly remember how that happened, although I miraculously found them in a bag when we moved to Austin. Finally, in the great tradition of hand-me-downs, the couch ended up in my younger brother's apartment, where after he got married, it was promptly shunted off to a storage room or something. But then one day, the news came that he and my sister-in-law had given the couch away, and to someone not in the family. I confess that I really didn't care what happened to the couch, but I can't say the same for my mother. My sister and I went to work behind the scenes to try to reduce the amount of time that my brother and his wife would inevitably spend on the family blacklist. But still, we couldn't help but ask the question, what had my brother been thinking? After spending 35 years in the Wooten family, when did he ever start to think that just because the couch had been entrusted to him, he could do with it as he pleased? When had he come to see the couch as his own? Actually, I think it's easy to begin to think that what has been entrusted to us belongs to us. If we work hard and long to protect and nurture something, or even if we just live with something for a while, the claim of ownership slips up on us, sometimes without our even noticing it. That's exactly what Jesus accuses the chief priests and the Pharisees of in today's Gospel reading. Just before we get to today's gospel reading in Matthew, the chief priests and the elders have come to Jesus in the temple and challenged his authority. Jesus responds with parables, one of which we have as our gospel reading for today. A landowner planted a vineyard, Jesus says, and he cared for it well, with a fence around it, a wine press in it, and a watchtower. And then the landowner leased it to tenants. When harvest time came, the owner of the vineyard sent slaves to collect his produce. But the tenants seized them and beat one, killed one, and stoned another. The owner sent more slaves, but they were also beaten and killed. Finally, the landowner sent even his son into the vineyard, but the tenants decided to take his inheritance and make it their own. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. So Jesus asks of the chief priests and Pharisees, what will the owner of the vineyard do with those tenants? The Pharisees and priests reply, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. 
Then Jesus replies to them, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruit of the kingdom. Now the chief priests and Pharisees realize that Jesus is pronouncing judgment on them. They know it not because they believe that Jesus is the Son of God and so Jesus fits the story. They don't believe that. They know Jesus is speaking about them because their tradition was full of references to Israel as a vineyard. Hundreds of years earlier, Isaiah had told the story of one who planted a vineyard on a beautiful hill. He dug up the ground and got rid of all the stones. And then he planted only the best of vines there. He even built a watchtower in the middle of it and made a wine vat for it. Sound familiar? He did everything for that vineyard and expected it to produce the best of grapes. But the grapes it produced were sour instead. And so the owner of the vineyard vows to destroy it, to lay waste to it. The vineyard of which Isaiah speaks is the house of Israel. Isaiah is proclaiming judgment against the people of Judah for breaking their covenant with God and for exploiting the poor. So the chief priests and Pharisees get to the vineyard in Jesus' story, and they know that that's Israel. And as those who tend the house of Israel, they also see that they are the tenants in this parable. So no wonder they're angry. And here I think we need to acknowledge that this passage can be fraught with danger. It seems to place the blame for the murder of the landowner's son, which Christians understand to be Jesus, squarely on the Jewish leaders. It is passages like this one that have led to centuries of anti-Semitism. But we can't understand scripture as critiquing everyone else in the world. We have to let the critiques in scripture critique us as well. See, the first sin of the tenants in this parable is that they bought into the idea that the vineyard and all that it produces somehow belongs to them. Somewhere along the way, they forgot they were stewards and began to think they were the owners. I think we live under the constant temptation to do the same. Too often we think that what we have is the work of our hands. And we lose sight of the fact that all that we are and all that we have is purely a gift from God, not of our own making. And the tragedy is that when we forget that everything we have and every breath we take is a gift from God, then we start to live with closed fists, holding on to things for dear life. And when our fists are clenched in that way, we might hold on to what we have for a little while. But our hands aren't open to receive new gifts from God. It's been said that that's the real misfortune of the Pharisees and the chief priests in this passage. When they mistake their leadership for ownership, they close themselves off to the new thing that God is doing right there in their midst. They become blind to the coming of the kingdom of heaven right in front of them in the person Jesus. Today we kick off our stewardship campaign called Walking the Way. And during the next few weeks we'll explore how the practice of intentional giving can deepen our walk with Christ. But stewardship is about so much more than just money. Stewardship is really about the fact that we are stewards and not owners. And if we live as if we're owners, 
If we live with fists closed to protect what we believe is ours at all costs, be that our money or our time or our ministries or our attention, if we live with fists closed, then we close ourselves off to the many surprising, wonderful, life-giving, unexpected things that God is doing and can do right here where we are. See, only if our hands are open and giving, only if our hands are open and giving, can we really receive in all its fullness. So the question this morning is, are our hands open? Open.